Welcome to episode two, week two of our series, Defiant Joy, because this month we are talking about this powerful thing that God gives us called joy. I've had so many people ask me, why are you talking about joy, these happy things during a global pandemic? But actually I've responded with, I think this is the perfect time to talk about joy. I think this is where joy shines the brightest is in dark, dark moments. And I, we've been guided by this quote from Barbara Johnson that we shared last week, but I'll post it up here again. It says this, she says that we church people are Easter people living in a good Friday world. I love this quote so much to frame us in this series because it doesn't deny that we're living in a good Friday world. We're living in a time of fear and anxiety and sometimes isolation and things are dark just like it was that evening that God died, that Jesus died on the cross. But that's not the final word. We are Easter people. Jesus rose again and we are so marked and transformed by the resurrection of Jesus that we are Easter people living in the midst of this hurtful, dark Good Friday world. Because as Easter people, we know that Jesus gets the last word, that life and light get the last word, and we know that the worst things are never the last things. And even if the worst possible things happen to us, our God is the God of miracles, the God of resurrection. And so we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world, and that's why we can be marked by defiant joy as we walk through these treacherous times of COVID-19. I heard this story this last week of Vice Admiral, his name was Vice Admiral James Stockdale. He was a Navy pilot. Um, he's most known, it's the way I knew about him a little bit. In 1992, he was running for Vice President on Ross Perot's ticket. I remember just knowing a little bit about him from Saturday Night Live, but I heard more about his story and he was a fascinating guy. I mean, he was in the Navy, he was a Navy pilot. And in September, 1965, his plane was shot down right in the middle of the Vietnam War and his plane was shot down. He parachuted into a village in Vietnam and he was held as a prisoner of war for almost eight years. Eight years of him being beaten brutally, him being almost starved to death. He stayed in the famous or the infamous Hanoi Hilton with other prisoners of war. He was forced to try to go into the uh, Vietnamese propaganda machine, but he marked his face up so he would be too ugly to put on the propaganda videos. He was a tough guy. And after almost eight years in this prisoner of war camp, this Hanoi Hilton, he was released. Uh, the war was over, and so he came home. Jim Collins, who's a business expert, a best-selling author, interviewed him years later about, hey, what was it? What was it, Stockdale, that kept you going through those almost eight years of being a prisoner of war? And I love what Stockdale had to say. There's so much wisdom in this. He said this. He says, I never lost faith in the end of the story. Ooh, that's powerful. That'll preach, right? I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn that experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. I would not trade this experience for anything because this would be the defining thing of my life. He continued on. He said this. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Do you see the tension that Stockdale was holding? This is actually called the Stockdale paradox because it's holding two true things in tension. 
You must never confuse the faith that you will prevail in the end, which you must hold, but you also must confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. This is an Easter person living in a good Friday world. And my friends, as we're on this journey of learning how to live with defiant joy, joy is about holding that tension as well. The ultimate truth of victory with this is the worst. (laughs) These realities that are so hard, we hold both of them in tension because joy does not dismiss our hurts, our pain, but no, it stares our worst realities down and says that you don't get the last word. Jesus does, and I will live in joy and choose joy anyway. Because this is what joy was we found last week. Here's the definition that we're using. Joy is a God-produced good feeling in the soul that enables us to respond to all of life's experiences, all of life's experiences with eternal perspective. My friends, I believe this is what God is offering us. This is what he's offering you to live with this kind of defiant joy, this good feeling that God makes down in our souls that enables us to see all of life's experiences with this eternal perspective, and that's why we can feel good. Let me ask you this, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that almost sound too good to be true in the season that we're living in? I mean, who doesn't want more of that in their lives? And wherever you are this morning uh, with what you believe about God, what you believe about faith, I just wanna invite you to lean into the possibility that you have a heavenly father who wants this for you. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, this defiant joy that God wants us to live with in our lives. But here's the tension. Here's the, the, where the rubber meets the road when we talk about joy. I mean, if we're going to live our lives with this defiant joy, we're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to choose it. We're going to have to stretch and build muscle around joy because it is not natural. It is not just what happens when we live our life. And God invites us to fight for it. And we know, we know this, right? That everything worth having in our lives, I mean, it doesn't come easy at all. Everything worth having at the end, we had to work for, we had to fight for, we had to have a plan in place because we knew we would not naturally drift into it. I mean, think of it this way. In your relationships, in your best relationships, you don't naturally drift into deep connection, do you? No, you have to have a plan for it. In your marriage, in your relationships with your kids, if you are like performing the miracle of still keeping up with friends from college, you know that you have to have a plan for it. It just doesn't naturally happen because we don't drift into good things. When you think about your career, you don't naturally drift into more influence, a better pay grade. You don't drift into the nice corner office. You have to put in the extra work. You have to deliver on time over and over again, put in seasons of extra hours to make it happen. You have to fight for it. You have to work for it for you to get to where you want to be in your career. And all I'm saying is that in this fight for joy, it's the exact same thing. We have to have a plan. We need to have some tools in our toolbox, some weapons in our arsenal so that we can fight for joy in everyday life, especially in dark seasons that we find ourselves in now, like COVID-19. So that's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna encourage you that in the midst of uncertainty, fear, and this invisible virus, that there's a way that you can fight for joy in your everyday life because God wants you to live with this defiant joy. So I want to give you some tools in your spiritual toolbox, some weapons in your spiritual arsenal so that you can fight for joy today and every day. 
Now, the first place we want to go uh, is this. I want to put this thought in front of you. I want to encourage you to fight for joy through challenges, to fight for joy through life's circumstances that are less than ideal. And I want to take us to this New Testament letter written by this guy named James. And if you don't know much about James, James was actually Jesus. Yes, that Jesus, his biological brother. And what's cool is that before Jesus was resurrected, James is nowhere to be found. He probably thought his brother was kind of crazy, kind of loopy. He's like, I mean, he's my, he's my brother. He's no way he's actually the Messiah. He's actually God. But after the resurrection, James becomes a leader in the early church, which to me just points to the fact that James knew that Jesus actually was resurrected. But he becomes a leader of the early church, James does. And he writes this letter that's collected for us thousands of years later, and it's in our New Testaments, and it's full of so much practical wisdom. And right off the bat, he gets into this idea of fighting for joy through challenging circumstances. Actually, in verse 2 of James, he, he starts right off the bat saying this, some hard stuff. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's like, dang, James, could you like ramp up to that a little bit? I mean, some of us, uh, we, we struggle with the Bible because of statements like this. Like, that just sounds otherworldly. That's airy-fairy stuff. Like, what are you talking about, James? Because what he's saying here is, hey, when you have trials of many kind, kinds, when there's challenges in your life, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think of them, consider them joy, consider them, think of them as good things that happen in your life. And you're like, come on, James, what are you talking about? But he continues on, and he, he tells us why he wants us to do that. He says this in the next part of the verse. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces, a big word here, perseverance. Now, I love James' realism here because he says that, yes, these trials, these challenges in our lives, they test our faith. They stretch our faith. They put our faith on the test. Sometimes they put God on the test. I mean, maybe you've experienced this in your life or you know somebody else that when life got hard, you really discover if people really have their trust in God or if they have their trust in circumstances. And maybe that was a reality for you too. When stuff starts hitting the fan in your life, uh, you don't go towards God, you repel away from God. And James says here that these challenges, they test our faith. They test if God is really who we say he is in our lives or not. But he says that, hey, these challenges, James says, they produce perseverance. If you hang in there through these challenges and you stick in the trial and you don't hit the eject button, they produce this powerful thing called perseverance. Now, perseverance is an incredible word in the ancient world. It's used along lots of different fields or lots of different disciplines. It's, a, it's an athletic word in the same way that it is for us today, but it was also a military word of people hanging in there during a long siege of a village or of a city as well. It's this idea of endurance running in the same direction for a long period of time without giving up. And James says, somehow, I want you to think of these hard things that happen in your life as good things because they produce perseverance. They produce grit in you. And that is a good thing. And he continues on. In this next part, he gets into some directive. He challenges people to do something. He says this, let perseverance finish its work. And then he says, so that, here's the purpose, here's the reason why we should want perseverance in our life. He says, so that you may be mature and complete. <laughs> he says, this thing, this grit, this perseverance that our challenges in life gives us, it leads us to become mature 
and to grow and to be complete. I mean, we, we know this, right? We know this from um, working out, right? Going that extra five minutes, going that extra lap, putting on the extra plate on the bench. It actually builds perseverance in us. It grows us. It stretches us. It builds toughness in us. In business, many of us know this because you can remember back to the financial collapse of 2008 and you remember all the lessons that you learned there and that that grit that you had to show there, it actually paid dividends in your life and in your business later. Maybe in a hard season of parenting when you just couldn't connect with your kid and your kid was making decisions that you couldn't stand, or maybe they're younger kids and they just would not sleep for three hours in a row. I mean, you know that the grit that was developed in your life because of that hard season is something that you would not trade away at all. In other words, perseverance gave you this. It gave you this powerful sentence. Man, if I got through that, I can get through this. If I got through that, I can get through this. And James says here, perseverance, it makes us mature. It grows us. It makes us complete. You know, so often we think about mature faith, or I used to think about mature faith as those people who knew everything about the Bible, who were the Bible answer people, the people that were kind of annoying and it looked like they never did anything wrong or never had a negative attitude at all. But James says that's the wrong way about thinking about maturity. Maturity are those who had the worst that life could throw at them. It came at them and they still believed, they still trusted, they persevered towards the end. And James says, consider these hard things that happen in your life. (laughs) Consider these challenges pure joy because of what God can produce in it. I mean, think of it this way, guys. The last time you were going through good times and everything was rolling, what did you learn? What did you learn the last time that everything was rolling? Everything was amazing. You probably didn't learn anything because we don't learn lessons during easy seasons. We only learn lessons during hard seasons because easy seasons come along and we just enjoy them. We don't learn any lessons from them. And I wanna offer you this thought, that God did not cause or bring this pandemic on the human race. I don't believe he's that kind of God at all. So I don't wanna entertain that thought that I think is actually evil. But I do believe this, that God will use this pandemic and he wants to use this virus and this quarantine time to grow you, to mature you. He wants to use it and he will if we let him into it. James finishes this uh, section and I love what he says next to finish this thought. He said this in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if any of you are looking towards the heavens and being like, God, what is going on? When is this going to end? God, where are you in it? That's what lacking wisdom looks like. If any of you are like that, which I have been like that many times the last couple uh, weeks, if you're like that, ask God for wisdom and he will generously give it to you. So often we think about wisdom as just knowing everything and having all the knowledge possible. But James defines wisdom differently here in this context. And I think it's very powerful for us because James defines wisdom as this, the ability to see current circumstances in a wider context. Wisdom is the ability to see your current circumstances, what you're going through with an eternal perspective. And that's another gift, another joy that God gives us while we're going through challenges. My friends, God is inviting us not just to endure hard things in life, 
but to grow and mature through them all along the way. So don't waste these moments. Capture them and fight for joy by understanding that this is an opportunity to lean into God and to have persevering, maturing faith during a hard season. That's what your God wants for you. So fight for your joy through your challenges by persevering and growing that maturity muscle that we all need. The next thing I want to put in front of you, another tool I want to give you, another weapon I want to give you to fight for joy is to fight for joy by your vision. And to talk about this, I want to take us to the New Testament letter of Hebrews. It's this incredible letter tucked away near the end of our New Testaments. And we don't exactly know who wrote it, but whoever she was or whoever he was, uh, he had incredible, they had incredible insight into the way that the Old Testament and the New Testament connected together into this new thing that God was doing. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the author takes us through a who's who of the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, people that had faith in God and trusted God through hard circumstances, through whatever life threw at them. And he's making this point that it's always been about trusting God. It's about this faith that we can have in God, not about what we can do for him or how well we keep the letter of the law. It's about faith. And he gets to Hebrews chapter 12, and they point the attention towards us and the challenge towards us today. And the author of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, there's that word again, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. He continues and says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame or despising or taunting the shame of the cross, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, so much is happening here, you guys. This is such a beautiful passage. But I want to zero our focus into that phrase. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Now, set before him is a compound verb in the Greek language. It's actually pronounced prokomai in the original language. And if you want to be really cool on your couch this morning, you can say prokomai to your spouse or your kids. But that is to lay something before our eyes. It's actually this picture of somebody sitting at a table and somebody placing something right in their eyesight for them to focus on. And what was the joy that was set before Jesus' eyesight as he went to the cross? This is beautiful. The joy set before him was you. It was me. It was generations and millions and billions of people that matter so much to God being reconnected with him, finding their way back to him through this incredible act of love at the cross and three days later, his resurrection. That was the joy set before him. But I think it's so important for us to understand that Jesus went to the cross And he didn't just muster up willpower. No, he put something specifically in front of his eyes, in front of his vision that changed everything for all of eternity for you and for me. He showed this toughness, this defiant joy, this perseverance of setting his eyes on something that mattered, his purpose, his joy, you and me. In 1946, A guy named Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl is a really fascinating guy because he spent time in Auschwitz in a a Jewish concentration camp during World War II. 
And he, after he was released, after the war was over and he survived, he was a psychologist and he went back trying to understand why some people survived and other people did not survive. And so he spent a lot of time in research and trying to understand why he could get through and why others got through, by what, but why others did not make it. And I love this quote it was sort of the thesis of his finding that he put in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He said this, those who had a purpose bigger than the concentration camp could fight through and survive into the future. Those who had a bigger purpose, a bigger picture than the concentration camp, their current reality could fight through and survive into the future. In other words, those who could set their eyes and their thoughts and their vision on something bigger than their current circumstances, they could survive into the future. So here's a question I wanna ask you. What are you setting before your eyes? What are you, Procomai, setting right before your eyesight, right before your vision throughout your week? When you think about your week, I mean, are you setting just a bunch of fluff and a bunch of empty entertainment before your eyes, like Netflix, watching Tiger King for the fourth time? Or are you missing sports, so you're setting before your eyes a bunch of old NBA and NFL games? Maybe you're setting before your eyes the Michael Jordan documentary. That's what I've been doing, because it's amazing. Or maybe you've just been setting before your eyes a bunch of mindless scrolling on your phone. And there's not anything wrong with spending time with some fluff, but when you think about it, are you spending too much time doing that? throughout this crazy season? And is it getting into your thought patterns more and more and more crowding out better things? Maybe for you, you just can admit that you're spending a lot of time uh, letting negative stuff, negative things before your eyes. Are you spending a lot of time watching cable news 24 seven because you're home? Are you hate watching everything that has to do with President Trump or maybe hate watching everything that has to do with Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden? Are you spending so much time sharing negative things on Facebook? <laughs> you know, there's an incredible thing that's been discovered in the last couple of years about brain science. We're actually in the scientific community. I don't say we, I'm not in the scientific community, but they are discovering twice as much about the human brain as they in the last five years than they did the last 50 years. They're learning so much about our brains. And one thing that they've discovered is that when we experience positive thoughts or positive things in our lives and we think about them, they're almost like Teflon from our brain and our hearts. They just sort of run right off of our brain and they're easy for us to forget positive things. But negative thoughts, negative emotions, negative things, they're like Velcro to our brains and to our minds. They stick right there. And we have to think about positive things three times more than we do negative things for them to stick with us at the end of our days. Three times more positive things than negative things. Let me just ask you this question. What are you putting before your eyes? What are you putting before your mind throughout this crazy season? Are they positive things? Are they things that lead you to life and love and patience and joy and perseverance? Or are they negative things? And that's a challenging question for us. You know, here at Bridgeway, we want to help you in that. We actually have a cool announcement today. Sometime before 1 p.m., every single person in our Bridgeway database is going to receive an an email from Right Now Media. And you might not know what Right Now Media is, but it's kind of like the Netflix of Bible studies and sermon series. And it's got great kids content, student content, adult content from some of the world's greatest Bible teachers and pastors. And uh, we are, as a church, gifting every single person access to that. And you'll find an email with an easy way to walk you through that. And if you happen to not get an email, 
um, you can go to our digital connection card at bridgewaycocomo.com backslash connect, and we will set you up right away. But we have actually a, an individualized library of stuff that I love that I would love to share with you, just the Bridgeway Church Library. Then we have a kids library and a students library as well, some awesome stuff that our uh, kids director, Colin Johnson, has picked out for the next generation as well. And we wanna give that to you because we wanna give you the tools to set the right things before your eyes so that you can experience the joy that you can have set before your eyes and not just the fluff, not just the negative stuff. We wanna help you fight for the joy that God has for you through your vision, what you're putting before your heart, your mind, and your eyes. The last thought I wanna put before you, the last tool I wanna give you, weapon that I wanna place in your spiritual arsenal is this. It's not just to fight for joy, but to surrender the fight for your joy. This one's a little different. Surrender the fight for your joy. I want to invite you to harmonize your will with God's will. You see, sometimes when we think about Jesus, we think about this God robot who always did everything right, who never had human emotions whatsoever. And I think that is just such a miss, uh, mistake for us to hold in our view of who Jesus is. Because this is what's beautiful and it's a mystery about Jesus, that Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And when you study his life throughout these biographies of his life that are called the Gospels in our New Testament, you see Jesus struggle. You see Jesus come face to face with all the emotions and all the temptations that we experience, but he chose to follow the Father's will in this defiant way, anyway. Now, I want to take us to the last week of Jesus' life to show us this. He enters into Jerusalem, and in John chapter 12, we're told this in verse 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Theologians, Bible scholars are saying that Jesus is entering into the last week of his life, and he's starting to feel the weight of what he'll end up doing at the cross. And so he says, Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? He identifies his challenge he feels the struggle of it, but then the very next verse says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. See the struggle that Jesus experienced by saying his soul was troubled, but he still chose to follow his father's will. Isn't that fascinating? Then just at the end of this very week, the night that Jesus was betrayed, we see him having to fight for joy again and to surrender and that's how he ends up winning the fight to his father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's off praying by himself. And he says this to his disciples. He said in verse 38 of Matthew 26, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And this is intense to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you see the deep anguish and the struggle that Jesus experienced because of the weight of going to the cross and sacrificing his life? It was a deep struggle. It was him really wrestling with God's will and God's plan for redemption. And he doesn't just do it once at the Garden of Gethsemane. A couple verses later in verse 42, he does it again. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. I think this is such a beautiful insight into Jesus' life, but also into many of our lives as well as we struggle to surrender to God's will. You see, Jesus, 
he, he had this pattern that he went through, and I think it's a pattern that's a great place for us to go as well. And this is the pattern. It starts with identifying the struggle on the ground level. Identify the struggle of what we're um, experiencing and what we're wrestling to trust God with. And then we surrender on a soul level. We surrender to God, and then we experience this defiant joy anyway. So I want to encourage you to follow this pattern of Jesus, to begin by identifying the struggle. Identify it. Name it. Be real with God. Don't give him polite, pretty prayers. Be real with him. What are you feeling? What is the circumstance in your life that you can't control and it's killing you? Is it because of fear? Is it in your finances? Is it, is it in your relational world? Where is it? Name it and tell God the way that you're feeling about it. It's the only way that you'll begin to surrender to God and to experience defiant joy. The next step is that idea of surrender. Say, God, I'm going to trust you in this anyway. After you identify what you're, you can't control, just say, God, I'm not going to be strong enough to white knuckle this on my own. So I'm going to loosen my grip. I'm going to trust in your character and who you've always been. I'm going to trust in who you say that I am that I'm your beloved because you went to the cross for me and you love me and that you're gonna be with me no matter what. And then trust that his ways are higher, that he's got a plan, that he's taking human history and all of humanity somewhere. And I'm part of that. And I can't see the end zone, but I'm gonna trust God that he's got a plan anyway. And we trust that his plans are higher. That's how we surrender to him. And after we identify the struggle, and we surrender to God, that is when we experience defiant joy. We experience joy that's you know, unbelievable and unexplainable, and it's so powerful. So many people struggle with this, I think men especially, about surrendering their lives to God and harmonizing their will with God's will because we think that God's gonna take something away from us. But here's the reality of our good, good heavenly Father is that God, he wants something for you. He doesn't wanna take something from you. He wants your flourishing. He wants you to experience life to the fullest. And there is extreme freedom in surrendering to his authority, surrendering your will to his. And I wanna lean into this a little bit because some of you here this morning watching, um, this is where you're struggling is because you just haven't done that yet. You've enjoyed watching church or going to church or coming to a group, but you're still trying to control your circumstances and you haven't surrendered your will to God. And maybe that's the step that you need to take. Maybe that's the next step in your fight for joy is just saying, God, I feel this way, but I'm going to trust you, surrender to you, follow you anyway. That's what you need to do. And I'm praying that some of you will make that decision to surrender to him and experience that defiant joy this morning. So my friends, where does this leave you? What's your next step? For you, do you need to fight for joy through challenges? Do you need to fight for perspective and know that God's going to do something maturing in your life this morning through perseverance? Do you need to ask him for wisdom about what to do next and trusting that through this challenge, he will generously give you that? Do you need to fight for joy by your vision, by what you're putting before you? what you're placing before your eyesight? Do you need to put more eternal, positive things, Christ-centered things in front of your eyes, in front of your heart and your mind than you are right now? You need to fight for it that way. 
Or for you, do you need to do what we were just talking about? Surrender this fight for joy and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm gonna follow you completely. I'm gonna harmonize my will with your will through this struggle. Which one do you need to take a step in this morning? Because my friends, God wants you to jump into this fight for joy and to choose it over and over again and use your spiritual toolbox and the tools in there to fight for it. Use your spiritual arsenal with different weapons to fight for joy in there as well. I love this quote from Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest and prolific writer. He said this, it is important to become aware that every moment in our life, we have an opportunity to choose joy. Every moment in your life, my friends, you have an opportunity to choose joy again and again and again. I pray that we choose wisely and we choose when it's tough and we fight for it when it's not easy because the things that we fight for and then we're on the other side of a victory and those things just taste sweeter and they're deeper and they're more beautiful. And I believe that your heavenly father wants to find joy for you and he invites you to fight for it over and over again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what we got to study this morning. We thank you for the way that your word, um, these scriptures, they speak to us thousands of years later. We're so grateful for that, Father. God, I pray that you would just give my friends who are listening online or watching later, give them the uh, discernment to know which step they need to take and what they need to do next. And God, give them the courage to follow through on it because faith is not uh, playing around. It's an exercise in growth and taking steps. So I pray that there would be lots of steps taken, God, that people would pick up these weapons, uh, they would pick up these tools, and they would use them to fight for joy this week. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.